Welcome to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. We're your hosts, Tim and Ruth Olson, licensed marriage and family therapists and trauma experts. We provide wisdom for personal growth and healthy relationships. Stick with us and you'll gain practical tools and insights that will help you be a healthier and happier you. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. We are so glad that you're here with us today. So we've been in a series talking about personality and relationships, and we've been going through the Myers-Briggs type indicator and what each of the preferences mean. So let me do a quick recap on what we've talked about so far. We've covered the basics of the Myers-Briggs type indicator and the first group of preferences, which is introverted and extroverted, and that's how you recharge. The second set that we talked about was sensing and intuition, and that's how you gather information and take things in and process them. Today we're going to be talking about thinking versus feeling, and this is based on that information that you just gathered, how do you then make decisions? But before we start with that, I wanted to take just a quick minute to remind you that if you're not already subscribed to our podcast, it'd be a great time to go ahead and subscribe to that. So that way, every time we drop an episode on Tuesday and Thursday, you'll be notified right away. All right, back to thinking and feeling. Now, an important disclaimer to say before we really get into this is that thinkers feel and feelers also think. So it's not a difference between if you do one or the other, because you do both. But what it is, is priorities in decision making. And so thinkers tend to use more logic and information to make decisions versus feelers think more about people and social relationships to make decisions. And like we've said in other episodes, each of these preferences don't exist in a vacuum, right? It just depends on what your other letters are and the relationship to that. So extroverted feelers are going to be different than introverted feelers. And the same with extroverted thinkers and introverted thinkers. And also if you're sensing or intuitive, as well as if you're a judger or perceiver. All of those play a role in how your thinking and feeling plays out. So for thinkers, a very important thing for them is logic. If something makes logical sense to them, they're more likely to adopt the thought process or more likely to be able to follow along with some type of procedure. But if it doesn't make logical sense, it can really grade on somebody who's a thinker. Like, why do I have to do it this way? That doesn't make sense to me. So we're going to be reviewing five differences between thinkers and feelers. And the first one is decision making. So thinkers tend to make decisions much more based on logic and objective analysis, where feelers tend to make decisions based off personal values and subjective considerations. For thinkers, they really do value logic kind of above all. If something can make logical sense to them, then they're much more likely to adopt a belief system or a process that they engage into. But if they can't make logical sense of something, they're going to have a much harder time and it's going to kind of grade against them where they're going to be irritated having to follow this or they're more likely to buck a system that just doesn't seem to make logical sense to them. So I definitely can see that this is definitely something that goes along with me. Like I tend to like to follow rules, but if rules don't make sense to me at all, they really can irritate me. And sometimes I can just dismiss a rule offhand because I'm like, that seems silly or dumb or arbitrary. I don't really want to follow that because it seems like an unnecessary or unhelpful restriction to have on me as opposed to something that makes sense where it's like, oh, hey, you know what? Like, I shouldn't do that because that's going to end up with a bad outcome. I can see why that rule's there. That totally makes sense to me. I'm happy to follow that one. And I would agree because when I see you not follow rules, I think I'm always a little bit shocked because you are such a rule follower. 
But then when I say something or make a joke about it, you'll say, well, it just doesn't make sense. And so I can totally see what you're saying, that it has to make logical sense and line up, like you said, with that objective analysis that you've created in your mind. Now, an interesting thing about thinkers making decisions, like I said, they tend to want to make them logically and they want to have information behind it. But just because they have a logical thought process behind it does not mean they're going to come to the correct conclusion. So they're going to adopt information into their thought processes. But if that information is fundamentally flawed that they're adopting into their thought processes, they will still also then come to an incorrect conclusion. And so logic doesn't necessarily reign supreme. It's the information that is connected with that logic that is very important to coming to a good or helpful conclusion. Right. And I think it's based on the situation. There are some situations where making decisions based on thinking is more valuable at that time in that situation. But there are definitely other situations where that feeler's touch or decision making feels a little bit more appropriate for that situation. So it's not right or wrong. I think there are stigmas, right, about, oh, she's such a feeler, or he thinks way too much and he has no heart, right? There are stigmas to that, but there are benefits to each of these. Oh, absolutely. And I do think that thinkers can get into trouble when they are logically trying to analyze people and they're logically trying to come to a conclusion on what they should do when they're interacting with people because they're just looking at it more at the cold calculated numbers about what we should do. Is this right or wrong? But then not taking into consideration how their actions are going to affect other people. And so I always like to tell my clients, if you're talking to somebody or if you're trying to understand somebody's motives, but you just can't make heads or tails of it, a part of the problem is you're missing an ingredient. You need to sprinkle a little bit of emotion in there and analyze what are the emotional factors that go along with that, that then will all of a sudden make this situation that makes no sense to you all of a sudden become a little bit more clear. Right. And on the other end, we have to make sure that we're not allowing our feelings to reign everything because our feelings aren't fact. They can be very fickle. And so being able to recognize when feelers need to maybe put on a little more thinking and even though that's their preference to feel, still being able to be true to the consideration of people, but also putting a little more thought into things and considering the different facts that are there. And I think in our marriage, Tim really balances me out and I help him balance out when we're making decisions together. Oh, for sure. There's so many times where you're taking other people's feelings into consideration and then it really does end up working out better for us where I'm like, oh, that doesn't make sense or I don't want to do that. That seems dumb. But then we do it your way and it ends up being beneficial socially to do that versus for me, sometimes I can't see past that logical ends to the means where it's like that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. There's a story I love to tell my clients because I think it really helps to understand the emotional dynamic versus the logical dynamic. So a couple years ago, there was this uh, car chase in L.A. And actually, it wasn't even a car chase. It was an RV chase. <laughs> this person had stolen an RV and they were in a low speed chase with the cops. There was helicopters flying overhead. They got 50 cop cars following behind them. And this person driving the RV had actually run into a part of an overhanging building and kind of crushed a part of the top of the RV. And so it's kind of caving in. And so she's driving around. And in the RV are two dogs that don't belong to her. She stole the RV and the dogs were inside the RV. And so she's driving and then she gets stopped at an intersection or something like that because she's waiting for traffic to go across. And at one point, one of these dogs is freaking out because this lady's driving crazy and wrecking the RV. And one of the dogs jumps out, 
So out of the front window that's kind of crushed. And this lady throws it into reverse for a moment, wanting to go back and get this dog. Now, when you're thinking about a car chase in general, especially if a helicopter's overhead, it doesn't make much logical sense to try to run away because what's going to happen is you're going to get charged with additional things on top of whatever crime you were running from in the first place. But then when you think about it emotionally, you sprinkle in, like I said, that little bit of emotion into the human being, then you start to understand they're not thinking straight because they are in the flight part of the fight, flight, or freeze. And she's trying to run away because she's fearful of what the consequences are going to be for her actions. Now, when you also think about it, you're like, why would this lady in the middle of this chase with the cops, why would she put it in reverse to think about going back to get this dog that doesn't belong to her? And the answer is companionship and a sense of security that she was getting from this dog that was in the RV with her. And so when that dog had jumped out, she felt abandoned and she wanted to go back and get this dog. Now, again, when you're looking at it, when you're looking at the human being, you cannot understand them if you only look at them in a logical perspective. Logic can absolutely be helpful, but if someone isn't making sense, a lot of times if you add into that equation a little bit of emotion, it can really help you to understand better what's going on with that person. Yeah, that's funny. I totally remember that, Chase. And I was thinking, well, maybe she didn't want the dog to get hurt or she wanted to go save the dog, which is also very feeling oriented. It's not logically thinking. And actually, it's very interesting that you say that because that's not something I would have ever considered because it's thinking about somebody else. And so she's thinking about the dogs versus I was thinking about what was she likely thinking about her own needs. And so that is a very feeling-based thought process. So when we think about decision-making, an interesting thought that I heard was that thinkers evaluate things based on true and false, whereas feelers evaluate things based on agreeableness or disagreeableness. And I think that's very true because thinking can be very black and white because it's based on these facts, which are black or white, versus feelers a lot of times fall more into the gray because it's very situational. It's based on the people there, the situation, how it might make people feel, and other factors. Now, I think an interesting thing that pops up for me is the little bit of the interplay of the different aspects of the personality type. So I am on the category more of a thinker, but I am also an introvert. And so I may have very disagreeable thoughts, but I won't necessarily share them because I don't want to draw attention to myself or really be seen as different by other people. So a lot of times I'll keep that more to myself versus somebody who's more of an extrovert thinker. They're more likely to be somebody who's going to loudly debate other people and be much more willing to challenge people publicly than somebody who's an introverted thinker. So the second area we'll talk about the differences of thinking versus feelers is in communication styles. Thinkers tend to communicate in a direct and analytical manner, focusing on the facts and details of a situation, whereas feelers, on the other hand, they tend to communicate in a more personal and empathetic way. And one thing to note is that thinking and feeling is the only preference with a marked gender difference, where you can clearly see that there's a majority of men who are thinkers and the majority of women are feelers. So this is an area where I think thinkers can sometimes get themselves into a little bit of trouble depending on the environment in which they're communicating with people because that directness and the higher degree of a thinker you are, the more likely you are to be very direct with what you're saying. Directness can absolutely be very helpful when you're trying to just be very clear with what you're trying to say. But a part of the problem is sometimes that directness can come across as 
calloused or aggressive when that might not be meant by the person who is the thinker, but it comes across to other people as, man, they're just going straight to the point. They're being pretty harsh with what they're saying versus feelers are much more likely to soften the blow to try to make it gentler with how they're saying it so that it's more acceptable for the person who's hearing the information. But the downside of that is that even though the information might be more acceptable, it also may be less clear as to what exactly is being communicated. And I think another area that feelers get into trouble there, in addition to not being as clear, is they tend to take things more personal. And so when you look at conflict in relationships, a lot of times you'll see the woman crying and the men looking frustrated and distant. And this isn't the case all the time, but I think this is kind of that stereotype that happens. And so in relationships, it really is good to really balance this out. So it's that idea of speaking the truth in love, right? We want to speak the truth, say the facts, kind of that logical thinking, but with love. And that's where you also include kind of that feeling perspective. And even though it helps us to understand these preferences and our personality types, it's not an excuse to say, well, this is just how I am. I'm not very emotional. Or to be overly emotional and not have the balance of being able to think critically and have a healthy conversation about what's happening. And so remember that this is on a spectrum. And so part of getting better in this communication style is to come a little bit more toward the middle. And so if you are extreme in one of these areas, working on balancing that out. And that'll show up and help a lot in your relationship and how you communicate. Number three is problem solving. Thinkers tend to approach problems with logic and systematic approach, breaking down complex issues into smaller and more manageable parts. Actually, this is really interesting. I had a client tell me one time, he said, Tim, you know what your genius is? Your genius is that you can take something incredibly complex and you can distill it down to just the important parts so that it's easier for people to understand some complex issue that you're trying to explain. And I love that because I thought, oh, that's totally true about me. I like to use analogies and stories to help people understand a more complex thing so that with that understanding, they then can exhibit better behaviors or fix a problem that they're running into. Versus people who are feelers, they're much more likely to approach the problem in a more holistic and intuitive way, relying on their personal values and empathy to guide their decisions. And one of the things is that sometimes a problem really does need a holistic 10,000 foot view versus being hyper granular and just focusing on the parts of the whole issue. A lot of times you can see this problem come out in hyper specialization of tasks or jobs. So when you're thinking through like a therapist lens, you're going to view every problem somebody has as some type of mental health or emotional type problem versus there's some things, physiological problems that you can have that can cause you to appear like you're having mental health problems. You could have hyper or hypothyroidism. Hyperthyroidism might make you appear to have something more like ADHD or hypothyroidism might make you seem like you have more depression. And then you can work with these people on trying to solve those problems from a mental health sense. But realistically, it's a biochemical problem that no matter how much you talk them through or how many tools you give them, it's not going to resolve that problem because they actually need something different than that to solve the problem. And so people who are more feelers are more likely to take that holistic approach and look in different areas versus thinkers are more likely to hyperfixate on a small set of possibilities. Right. And so part of that holistic view is considering people's feelings. And that's where that empathy comes in. Because yes, it's a complex issue that's broken down into here, 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 here. And those are the steps. Now go implement it. 
But in reality, it's not that easy because there are other factors. It's easy for the thinkers to think, okay, there's a solution. Whereas feelers think, well, when I implement that solution, how is this person going to feel? Or how can I round it off and have some empathy in my response to them while I'm implementing this? Oh, totally. I absolutely got called out by a patient a number of years ago. She was bringing to me her problems and saying, here's a problem, here's a problem. And I was giving her a solution. Well, try this or try this. And week after week, she'd give me a problem. I'd give her a solution. But then she was like, you know, I feel like you keep telling me I'm doing something wrong because you're just telling me how to do it differently. And that wasn't my intent at all. But I can totally see looking at that, that all I was focusing on was the solution, but never validating that she had already done the work that I'd asked her to. But I was just helping to kind of try to tweak or fine tune. But it could seem like I was just criticizing her because I was never validating that she was doing good work, but just trying to help her get to that goal. And so that was me kind of hyper fixating on just the solution, but not taking as much consideration into the whole human being as I needed to. And so that helped me to understand I need to put this as a part of my equation. And so in particular, when I'm doing EMDR with people at the end of the session, I'll make sure that I'll tell them like, hey, I know it might have been tough, but you should really be proud of yourself. That was some good hard work you put in. Yeah, and I think that's really good that you recognized it because like you said in the very beginning, it's not that you never feel, it's that that's your first preference. That's what you think about and you think, I am helping her by helping her think through and figure out these problems, but she was probably a feeler, Mm -hmm. whereas maybe a thinker would have responded differently and just gotten right to the point every time. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, I can see there's some clients who I've worked with for a long period of time and they bring me problems and We've just gotten in the cycle where it's problem, solution, 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 new problem, solution, solution, solution. And they are not negatively impacted by that because that's what they're expecting more of, hey, I have this problem. Hey, fix it for me or help me identify how to fix it. And so they're not necessarily coming looking for empathy. They just want to solve the problem versus people who are more feelers. They need more of that empathetic approach. And then that helps them feel better about what they're doing or feel more comfortable or confident in the direction that things are going. Oh, totally. And I think that's why we know that you have to find the right therapist for you because therapists are so different. And a significant part of therapy is that therapeutic alliance and feeling heard and seen, but also improving and having your problems work through. And so you might go to a therapist and realize like, I need a little more connection. And then I have others who are like, that therapist was really nice, but I didn't feel like she really helped me on anything. And so it is kind of that balance of figuring out what do you need, because each person is so different, but balancing out that thinking and feeling. So the next area we want to talk about is criticism. Thinkers tend to be more objective and detached when receiving criticism, focusing kind of on the logic and the merit of the critique, whereas feelers may take criticism more personally and be more concerned with maintaining positive relationships. And I think the thing to focus on here is thinkers tend to be more objective, right? Because I know for sure when you're critical of me sometimes or you're correcting something that I've done, it's not that it doesn't poke or prod a negative emotional response from me, but that I'm more likely to drop into almost like a robotic analytical mode where then I just am just trying to look at the situation much more objectively. So I think for thinkers, there definitely can be that initial emotional poke or prod that can be difficult to manage. But then once they manage that, then they can drop in to be much more analytical and thinking about the process. Now, a part of the downside to that, because that sounds nice for conflict, 
But a part of the downside is, again, they might not be considering the other person's feelings with their analysis, and it can come across as distant or aloof, which when you're in conflict can sometimes exacerbate the problem, or they're so hyper-focused on the facts of the situation that they're not working at reconciling, and then they're arguing about facts as opposed to trying to come to a positive resolution with their partner. And I can totally see how this is true from a feeler's perspective. And I know that we've talked about it and used this example in the past, but that idea of feelers being more concerned with maintaining positive relationships, where the example we've used in the past has been me being quicker to apologize and oftentimes taking the responsibility of a lot of it because I want to be done with the conflict and I want to make sure that we're okay, even if it's not all my fault, a lot of times I'll apologize for everything. And we've definitely worked through that and we've talked about that because then in the long run, you said in the past that by me kind of taking the blame for everything, there's nothing left to apologize for. And so in the past you haven't. And then over a long haul, I felt like, well, why am I always taking the blame? It's because I've really set it up that way that I have such a desire to keep the peace and to make things right as soon as we can that I'll apologize. But that's not good boundaries on my part, because then maybe that's okay that time or the next time or the next 10 times. But over time, that begins to wear on me. So I can totally see how that statement of being more concerned with maintaining positive relationships is true for feelers. And I can also see how feelers take criticism more personally. And I think oftentimes that leads to us being defensive because we feel like they're attacking us rather than looking at it from a logical perspective where they're talking about a behavior or something that needs to be changed, not who I am as a person or not my character. And so for me, being on the higher end of the feeling side, I do have to watch out for that, that I don't get defensive and I take your words for what it is. And I think logically about what you're saying and the meaning behind it, what you mean behind it, not what I feel like you're saying about me, knowing that I tend to take things a little more personally than you. So next is the last area we're going to be discussing, and that's decision-making under pressure. Now, before we talked about decision-making, but this is specifically about how you deal with it under pressure. Now, actually, this is very interesting because Ruth and I just had a discussion about this because it's like, actually, the way that this looks, we're kind of the opposite of that. But we came to the conclusion there's another distinction. There's making decision under pressure, and then there's making decisions in crisis. And for making decisions under pressure, what that kind of pressure is, it's more akin to the everyday life pressures, all the things that are going on in your life that you just have to make decisions on or take action on. And so for people who are thinkers, how they make decisions under pressure is they tend to remain calm and rational under that pressure, relying on their analytical skills to make quick decisions. Versus people who are feelers tend to struggle with making decisions under pressure as they may become overwhelmed by their emotions and the impact their decisions will have on others. And so this is just a very interesting thing because I was thinking, I was like, man, Ruth is so good under pressure and she's so much better than I am. But what it really came down to is Ruth's actually really, really good in crisis. She is so phenomenal at dealing with the crisis of the moment. I'm not good at crisis. I feel like a chicken with my head cut off when it comes to crisis. But when it boils down to everyday pressure and deadlines and things like that, that really doesn't phase me a whole lot. It's easy for me to prioritize and to cut things out or to just hyper-focus on one avenue or lane that is particularly important and needs to get done and to just drown everything else out. But for you, it's very different. It's not like that. Oh, for sure. It's easy for me to get overwhelmed by just the daily to-dos and the pressure of 
working and managing the household and raising children and just daily life. It's not anything out of the norm. But those daily activities, definitely, if I'm not on it, I can feel overwhelmed much easier than you. Whereas I'll bring your problem and say, these are all the things I have to do. And you just kind of roll with it. Makes me think of that song, I Took a Nap. I don't know if that's the real name of it, but it says, I had a lot of things to do today, but you know what I did instead? I took a nap. And that's where you can see a big difference in Tim and I, in the statement where we say, man, I have so much to do. And what happens next? Tim will say, I have so much to do. And then he'll get up and he'll go do it. Whereas I'll say, I have so much to do. And then I'll sit down and do nothing because I don't know where to start. I'm so overwhelmed by all the things that are going on in my brain and how it affects people. So something simple just happened today where I was sitting down, I was homeschooling three of the five kids at the table, and I needed my phone, and it was across the room. And instead of just getting up to go get it, I thought through everything and the timing of things, that if I get up to go get it, Elizabeth's almost done with this sentence, Caleb is working on this paragraph, and when I get up, She's going to ask a question, then he'll ask a question. And then my other daughter might need something else. And so thinking through, do I get it now? Do I get it later? That simple, simple thing of getting my phone becomes a whole problem in itself. And that may sound silly or crazy to say, but I'm sure some of you experience the same paralysis, right? It's that paralysis by analysis where you're overthinking everything. And it's not because I'm too lazy to get up and do it. It's because I'm overthinking how this one action that could take me 10 seconds to do will affect the people around me, which will then cascade and then affect me as well. And I think it's so interesting because our thought process are so different in that way, where your feelings are causing you to have additional thoughts. But then sometimes my lack of feeling or consideration for other people tends to cause me to have less thoughts. And I think this is a funny inverse to what you were just describing as, A lot of times when I'm in the kitchen and I need a cup or I need a bowl or I need a fork, they've been in the same place for a long time, (laughs) but I will almost always open the wrong cupboard or open the wrong drawer. And the reason why is because I put so little thought into it that I'm already moving to open something. And by the time I realize what drawer is correct, I've already opened the wrong one and then I just move to the other one. But it's the exact opposite of the paralysis by analysis. I don't do any analysis when it comes to doing some more mundane thing that I don't think and oftentimes I'll make a wrong choice, but the consequence of that wrong choice is so little that it's never prevented me from doing that. And that may sound funny or counterintuitive for somebody who's a thinker, but I think to that degree, that's probably why thinkers get less overwhelmed by things is because they think deeply on some things, but then don't take into consideration or think very much about other things or too much into consideration of other people's feelings into the situation. And I've really only come to this realization or have seen this in the past, I would say six to nine months, where once I realized, man, I am really overthinking a lot of things, then it was almost like that glass shattering moment in How I Met Your Mother, where once they point out things about different people, like he chews too loud, he sings everything he's doing, After they point that out, you begin to see it everywhere. And after I realized that, I really began to see how much just in the little things, like that example I just gave you of getting the phone, that was so little. But I have tons of those examples. And so it's not just the actual action that needs to happen that overwhelms me. 
It's the overthinking that happens and how my decisions will impact others. And I wonder if it's the exact opposite for in crisis where you don't have enough time to get bogged down in the thinking, but I don't have enough time to think it through. And so Hmm. that puts me off kilter versus for you, it actually kind of hones you where it's like, I can only think about this thing versus for me, it's like, no, 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 I need to be able to consider the other possibilities, but now I don't have the opportunity. Oh, I could totally see that. It actually is better for me when I'm under pressure because it forces me to make decisions quickly. Versus for me, I don't feel like I have enough time to analyze. And then in that situation, I get paralysis by analysis because I don't have enough time to analyze all the facts. So we've just talked about thinking versus feeling in those five areas. Decision-making, communication style, problem-solving, criticism, and decision-making under pressure. We're going to stop there, and we're going to continue thinking and feeling in the next episode. So join us next time for part two of Thinking and Feeling as we continue to talk about personality and relationships. Have a great day, and remember, your mind is a powerful thing. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it helpful, we'd love for you to take some time and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. If you have a question or a topic you'd like discussed in future episodes, visit our Facebook group, Mr. and Mrs. Therapy Podcast, and let us know. Disclaimer, although we are mental health providers, this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide diagnosis or treatment. Please seek professional help if you're struggling with persistent mental health issues, chronic marital issues, or call the National Suicide Hotline at 988 if you are contemplating suicide.